The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2016, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon is from Saturday, June 4th. Flying Dog brings the heat, an intimate look at how hot peppers are spicing up craft beer. Presented by Matt Brophy from Flying Dog Brewery, Ed Curry from Puckerbutt Pepper Company, and Tom Toth from Voodoo Chili Sauces. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to begin our last salon of the evening for Savor this weekend. So hopefully you've all enjoyed your time here. Uh, my name is Bradley Latham. I'm the senior event manager for the Brewers Association. Uh, we're the company responsible for Savor, and thank you all very much for being here. We hope you really enjoyed your time. Uh, we have a wonderful presentation for you this evening. This salon, as, long, as well as the rest of them, have been recorded by craftbeerradio.com. And if you'd like to listen back to this one or any of the other ones we have, uh, they'll be available next week at craftbeer.com. So please check that out and listen to them. So this evening, um, we have a few people here to talk to you about peppers and beer and heat and deliciousness. So um, our first presenter is Mr. Matt Brophy from Flying Dog, um, as well as Ben Clark from Flying Dog. We also have... um, Voodoo Tom Tom from Voodoo Chili Sauces and Justin Loschel from uh, Pucker Butt <laughs> Pepper Company. So, so, that is a well-named company for the people that created the hottest pepper on earth. So these guys are going to talk to you a little bit about the heat, the sweet, the interaction in wonderful beers that they've created. So I'd like you guys to take it away. And um, as we go this evening, if you have any questions, please just raise your hand, raise your hand and I will come hand you the microphone because um, we are, re- are recording them. So I just want to get it recorded. Go ahead, Matt. Thank you, Bradley. And thank all of you for coming to our salon here. Um, so real, real quickly, Flying Dog is the uh, largest brewery in Maryland, but in terms of uh, when you look at kind of breweries worldwide and the various sizes, we're actually small, um, agile, and independent. And at any time, we can have a casual conversation that can turn into um, a concept, we can get the ball rolling, and we can have products out in the market relatively quickly. And that's how the Heat Series started. Um, both Ben and I, we are fans of peppers, hot foods. We started a conversation just casually <clears throat> over the winter and uh, started coming up with some ideas and some concepts and thought that a series of uh, pepper-inspired beers would be something fun to do. So uh, we got the ball rolling, and we quickly came up with all four concepts, three of which we have here today, and uh, began the process and got underway with production. Um, So we'll be going through uh, the beers. We have, um, like I said, we have all three. We have the pretzels for you guys to uh, munch on. We've saved, I think that... It was probably smart for the BA to save this as one of the last presentations of the night because after this, your palate will probably be burned up a little bit, um, but not too bad. I think you guys will actually like the selections. The last one might be a little bit on the hot side. Now, I love the Saver event. Uh, I I didn't fact check this. It seems that every year there's 72 breweries and 144 beers with each brewery bringing two beers. And you have, uh, of course, food pairings with all of these beers. And I think it really is nice to highlight... Um, the culinary aspect um, in terms of the food, but also I think it makes people think a little bit about how beer is also a a culinary product. Um, Brewers are like chefs in many ways, and of course 
our pots and pans may be bigger than what you'll find um, in a chef's kitchen, but we really do the same thing. We take agricultural inputs, we take what we know and love about the art and science of what we do, which is brewing, and turn them into um, what I like to consider beautiful and flavorful artisanal artisanal beverages. And so that's really what we do. And when we look at what the primary ingredients are in beer, of course, you have barley and you have different yeast varieties and different hop varieties. And even just with those uh, combinations and all the different varieties that are out there, uh, you really end up with an endless amount of creativity. You could keep brewing again and again every day using different variations and never brew the same thing twice. Now, when you take that a step further and you start working with other agricultural inputs, you can come up with things that are even more interesting and more fun in some cases. And that's what we're uh, looking at here tonight with the heat series. So I'm going to hand it over to Ben. He's going to talk a little bit more technically about how we go through the process of developing the recipes and uh, bring these beers uh, out to market. Thank you, sir. So the first beer that everyone should have here is the Oak Chipotle Ale. Um, I've already sampled through most of these tonight just to check them out and something for you guys to look forward to uh, by the end. I'm, I'm already sweating, so you guys are going to be right there with me before too long. Um, we got a guy out here that needs a sample. Um, so really what I want to walk through is the R&D process, so how we go from that concept of the, of the heat series that Matt was talking about and getting to the beers that you guys have before you tonight. Um, so one of the first steps here, we've got, we've got a concept, right? We've got four beers. We know what we want them to taste like, look like, and smell like. The next thing we need to do is kind of start sourcing some of these, uh, you know, outside of the box ingredients. Um, so we have some questions we might want to ask ourselves. Uh, first of all, like what form, what form of the ingredient do we want to use, right? So if you think of pretty much any brewery or brew house there is out there, they're not built or engineered to have like, peppers added into the process anywhere. You're going to clog lines or hoses or pumps. So, you know, what, what we're looking to do in this case is get a freshly ground Chipotle uh, powder. It's easy for us to add into the process. It does a couple things for us. Uh, it, it mainly allows consistency of the product. So while we're looking at that form, we're also looking for consistency, right? So you might have, whatever, a container of the pepper powder here, thousands of different peppers homogenized in this batch. That's consistency batch over batch that you can rely on instead of grabbing 20 or 30 peppers that you're throwing in the beer that might have slightly different heat levels. You guys would know better than I do, but I think there's a pretty big variation in the level of heat between one pepper to another, even in the same, you know, the same category. So it's something we look at. I'm going to talk about piloting beers a little bit um, here in a minute, but we don't want to use one pepper in say like a five gallon batch. Like if you would do this at home, let's say you're making like a jalapeno IPA. You go to the store, you buy a couple jalapenos, you decide, oh, I should probably only put one in. Well, you've got three sitting there. Which one do you use? You're just, you're just gonna choose one. So you chop it up and you pop it in. You love the beer. You're telling your friends about it. They didn't get to try it. You're gonna make a second batch. You chop up a jalapeno again the next time you go to the store and it's completely different. The heat's different, there's more, there's less. You get more earthiness. It's the pepper itself that's giving you that variability. So any way that we can control that, we're, we're gonna work for that. So looking at the form of the ingredient, consistency is important, and then also stability. So um, really this, this powder that we're using, we wanna make sure it's stable on the shelf. Like what's its shelf life? We want it to be as fresh as possible, obviously when we're adding it to the the ingredient, but, or to the beer, but what does this ingredient do in the beer when the beer's sitting on the shelf? 
Is it going to kind of stay flat and other attributes of the beer are going to drop off? And then this pepper powder is really coming through or are you picking up this Chipotle ale and you don't get any Chipotle at all? So these are considerations that come, come into play later. Uh, some questions that we would ask our suppliers, you know, it's like, is this a year-round product? If we're, if we're worried about a, a year-round production of this beer, we want to know, if, are there, are there, is there seasonality to this? Are we going to get it from one part of the world at one time of the year, another part from another? Um, are there variations there? As Matt was saying with agricultural products, you know, these are inputs that we're putting into this beer that is an agricultural product. So we want to make sure that we have as much consistency there as possible. So specific to uh, the Oak Chipotle, You've got two, two main inputs. You've got the Chipotle. Again, we're using a powder here. And you've got the oak. So being a production brewery, using that powder, that's one way to kind of get around some limitations when you're making large quantities of beer. Um, on the other hand, you've got the oak aspect, right? So we don't have the space at the brewery currently to rack all this beer over into barrels and age it for a couple months in what would be hundreds of barrels. So we worked very closely with a local partner of ours to freshly grind these chipotle peppers and then take toasted oak chips and homogenize the two products into what we like to call an infusion. And we'll add those post-fermentation to the beer. We'll allow kind of like an extended aging period so that that surface area from the oak, which is in a much smaller form than you get in a barrel, can extract all that oak character. You get the chipotle character and uh, you got the beer that's, that's sitting here in front of you. So it's something that we couldn't really bring to market or bring in front of you here without the ability of kind of using every tool in our toolbox and, and using kind of like that oak, that, oak, uh, that oak chip. And small brewers and brew pubs or home brewers, uh, you know, if the beer's not being packaged and sent out to market, uh, it, it's, it's a little bit different of a situation. So we want to make sure that as we go through this process that the ingredients that we're using, as Ben said, are not only stable, uh, on the shelf before we use them, but then also stable in our product because we want the customer to have a good experience with our beer every time. And from one six pack to Oak Chipotle to another, always tastes the same. Thank you for the clarification. No, no, it's just, I'm just adding on, sorry. Um, you, I think there might be a question. If we're, are we going to do questions as we go? Okay. So, sorry, as a home brewer, could you elaborate more a little bit on your post-fermentation process of adding the Chipotle? Like, I... I kind of like you trailing, you said oak chips, but how are you doing the Chipotle? Is it a slurry or? So what we've actually done, so if you think about a pepper ingredient, or at least what we've learned, is if you add it to the hot side of the process or in your kettle or whirlpool, you're going to get mostly the heat. Excuse me. If you're adding it post-fermentation, like when you would add a dry hop, so secondary, um, you're going to get more of that flavor and aroma. So we're adding it as a dry powder. Think of it like a dry hop, but it's the dried powder. And then the, the oak itself is incorporated into that powder. So when we're weighing this out to add to, the, add to the vessel, it's all in one. So you're getting the two ingredients together. So what we had to do up front was, and, and I'll talk more about this in a bit, but um, kind of come up with our own blend of the amount of oak and the amount of chipotle so that when we put these two together and they age for a long period, right, so the oak's going to take a little longer to extract, that we don't have too much chipotle character there. So it's getting that balance right on the front end so that, when everything comes out together at the end, we've got the product that we want. So it's difficult to, we can't really bag this stuff up in our vessels, yeah. right? So it's like we have to make sure on the front end that the, the amount of time that is in contact with both of these, um, you know, gets us to where we want to be. Okay. What do you guys think of the beer? Awesome. <laughs> yep, absolutely. 
Uh, okay, so um, Tom, now do you want to do you, you want to tell the story of, of how we all got together? How all this kind of why you're here? Why we're working together? Okay, yeah. Uh, by the way, like it got introduced earlier, I'm Tom Toth with uh, Voodoo Chili Sauces. I've uh, been getting into uh, you know making craft hot sauces using craft craft beer is the main ingredient. And, uh, you know, how we wound up meeting, as uh, you may well recall, was, you know, during the month of February, we got a local uh, radio station here at DC 101. You know, once a week they go doing the uh, month of February. Uh, we were hanging out with them at Old Ox Brewing down in Ashburn. The very following week they were coming up to uh, Flying Dog. And for the last, I don't know, year and a half, almost two years, I've been trying to get the folks at Pucker Butt Pepper Company you know, they're, they're, they're the guys that created that hybrid, the Carolina Reaper, the hottest pepper in the world. Was trying to get them connected with Flying Dog, who I've been a huge fan of from long before they got any distribution out of the uh, state of Colorado. I mean, my parents are from Colorado. I grew up in Colorado. Been a huge fan of the company ever since. And uh, uh, when this happened, it, it just seemed like a good opportunity to just jump up there. I knew Roach, his road crew, and... That's what happened there, man. Yeah, so we started just kind of talking in the tasting room and uh, talking about what what would make a good uh, what, what would be a good beer to use as a base for a hot sauce. And uh, we had released uh, Fever Dream, which you guys should all be getting right now. And this is our mango habanero ale. Uh, and so uh, that seemed like the sauce to use. And so, Tom, can you kind of walk us through like the process of like maybe how you like where does the vision come from like why, and, and how do you work with the ingredients and what ingredients do you work with now he can't tell you everything or you'd have to kill everybody right. in the room but he can tell us i hope he can tell us some stuff about it well you know with uh, the craft beer sauces that we've uh, you know been doing here during the last you know year year and a half it's very different from working with traditional sauces i mean those they're they're pretty easy you know what you want you know what your ingredients are going to be in there with the craft beer sauces we're trying to create a whole niche market of using craft beer as the number one ingredient. And then trying to spin a whole new, unique, you know, hot sauce product, really showcasing that beer is the, the main thing. And when you and Ben threw the uh, mango habanero at me, I've been avoiding mango sauces now for the last two, three years because, you, know, uh, you know, Heartbreaking Dawns, K. John's Fiery Foods, I mean, they make the best mango habanero hot sauces on the planet. You guys threw me this curveball of, well, we've got this mango habanero IPA we just came out with. And I'm like, well, that's a game changer. And, uh, yeah, actually working with beer as a sauce, uh, a lot of people have done that for a long time. But typically it's just kind of an afterthought. It, it lends a little something special to the sauce. And, you know, what Will and I are doing is creating a whole new thing and really trying to showcase all the nuances of that beer, the different hops that are used, some are more fruity, you know, trying to find fruits and other ingredients because, you know, mango is not the only fruit that we have in this particular hot sauce. You know, we've got some mandarin orange, some peach, and we're trying to give, you know, kind of a nice safety net to present the mango because a lot of people, mango tastes, uh, when it's too, too intense, it almost tastes like soap. So throwing the mandarin orange and the peach in there, you know, made it a lot of fun. But, yeah, making sauce beers is different. And the fun part is we get to spend anywhere from two days to two weeks drinking that beer every afternoon after work, trying to get our heads. I mean, it's a really tough, tough, tough part of the job. But, you know, we do this for the team. We do it for the better of the culinary world, you know, the better of the uh, craft beer uh, industry. And, yeah, we're loving the heck out of it, man. Tom, I'd like to ask, you know, Ben told us kind of how – they incorporate pepper into beer. How do you incorporate the beer into pepper? 
what we're doing uh, right now, we're, as I may have mentioned a second ago, I'm trying to create a whole niche market here uh, where beer is the absolute focus of that sauce. Uh, the Fever Dream hot sauce, which unfortunately, a little breakdown of communication, which I accept full responsibility for. <laughs> we're supposed to have a bunch of those sauces here with us tonight for you guys to take home. I'll make sure that they get to every one of you guys here and gals this evening. Uh, not tonight, but here in the following week. No, we make the beer the number one focal point. And then we spend our time, you know, trying to whip all the ingredients around, really showcasing that beer. Instead of it being an afterthought that enhances, you know, a recipe that probably is really good or totally stands on its own, usually beer is thrown as an ingredient to give it a little bit of character. We're trying to create, you know, whole new sauces where the beer is truly the focal point. And I think with the, uh, the, the Fever Dream, we did a good job in you know, having something that's an IPA, this nice big dry finish that all of us are feeling right now. Got that little tickle in the throat. We throw some other peppers in there because like, uh, like the cayenne, the uh, De Arbol, you know, a lot of those peppers, they give you a really quick transient heat on the tip of the tongue, the, uh, the lips. Uh, you've got your habanero, which normally sits in the middle of the palate. Things like the Carolina Reaper that uh, Ed Curry created. It's usually in the back part of the palate. And we usually try to mix three to five peppers into whatever sauce recipe so we get multiple layers of flavor and then multiple layers of heat. Tom, how many, uh, what's your pilot process look like? And how many kind of iterations are there before you're, you typically, until you're finally like truly happy with the product? So, wow, that varies. Uh, well, as you guys, I mean, we did one, uh, if you guys went by the uh, Flying Dog uh, booth here this weekend, we got the Ghost Face Killer and then the no- Notorious Beat. I like the name on that one, by the way. Yeah, the Barrel Age Gonzo. Huge Gonzo fan, by the way. I mean, I love a good coffee stout. Uh, the prototypes I gave you guys, those were one-offs. Uh, Fever Dream, the sauce that we just, uh, you know, bottled up here this uh, Wednesday down in Florida. Uh, that, that took quite a few iterations. I mean, it, it varies. I mean, every now and again we get lucky and we're done in one, one or two iterations. Typically I'll go through three, four, or five prototypes before I'm comfortable delivering something to, you know, you guys as brewmasters. I mean, I want to at least be proud of the product even though it's going to be critiqued, I at least want to know that I would put it on my food. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a huge moving target as far as, you know, the, 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 how, you know, what the turnaround is on that. Yeah. And we certainly had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fun, uh, in some of yeah. the afternoons over the past couple of months with Tom bringing the, the sauces up and, um, you know, having a couple of beers and, and tasting and just kind of talking through what the, what the flavor development of the product looks like. You also see a difference too, from the time when you first make it, it, it kind of evolves, uh, pretty, like over the few days even, you see some big changes? Oh, every time, every time. I mean, the first prototype, uh, you know, I dropped off to you guys. Very simple. It was just mango. Uh, I think we had like, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, lemon juice, a little bit of pineapple juice. And then the next thing you know, uh, it wasn't even a week later. We, you know, threw the peach in there, threw the mandarin orange, you know, trying to give something that really expands the flavor. I mean, that not that Fever Dream wouldn't stand on its own, but it's one of those things, Make you know, make that beer the focal point, and then throw some other fun flavors in there. So it's like, it's a very fast-moving target until we finally get something down that it's like, that is what I think we ought to run with. Yep. No, it's been, it, seriously, it's been a great process, and it's always nice when you go through these kind of uh, uh, 
culinary collaborations, if you will, is that you, you're, 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 you're totally involved in the process and you end up learning a lot. So what Tom does is different from what we do as brewers. Um, we've learned a lot from him. I think he's probably learned a little bit from us and, and it's, a, it's, a fun, it's a fun process. Um, so when, when it comes to the, so the actual beer that you have in front of you, the Fever Dream, uh, w- when we look at the kind of the creativity in the brewery, um, there are some breweries out there where they kind of have like one person, like uh, the brewmaster or whatever it might be, that just like does kind of all the creative stuff. And what we've found is that when you have over 100 people working uh, at the brewery, they all tend to be like-minded. They're all very creative people, and they all have ideas, of, and they're great ideas. And they, think about it. Everybody comes from kind of a different walk of life a little bit, different culinary backgrounds or experiences growing up. Um, and so you want to be able to harness that, and that's something I think that we've done a really good job with over the years. Um, the best example of that being a program that we started a few years ago called the Brew House Rarities. And this, this kind of started uh, with guys approaching Ben and I and you know, saying, hey, you know what we should brew? We should brew a Doppelbach or we should brew a, 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 an ESB or whatever it might be. And they're, they're all good ideas, and a lot of them were more experimental than that. Um, and we realized that there really should be some type of forum where these guys can get their ideas, guys and girls. It's everybody. It's people in accounting. It's people in marketing and sales and kind of across the board. But we needed a forum for them to be able to express their ideas, and that's exactly what we did. So we kind of came up with the program of the – it didn't even have a name at first, um, and it's an opportunity for anybody in the organization to pitch a concept. We just did it two weeks ago um, up in the Catoctin Mountain Range. We had over, uh, over 70 pitches. Uh, from the from probably about sixty to seventy people, um, and we actually have gone through the selection process so that we've uh, now selected our brewhouse rarities for 2018. So this is a series we do. Uh, we're doing uh, eight this year. So you'll find those. And what we've found is that it's a great um, kind of starting point for uh, the, the development as almost like a farm team type situation where some of these beers actually graduate to be full time releases. Um, Fever Dream is, is an example of that. It actually started before it was a brew house rarity as just brewers experimenting with, uh, with mango, habanero, and our raging bitch. I actually added uh, those, those components to a firkin, which is basically like a small beer keg, um, and we just would have it at the brewery and we'd try it, and we absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and so then it became, somebody pitched it at the same brewery, he pitched it as a brew house rarity, became a brew house rarity, and now we've taken it to the full production scale level. So it's really nice to be able to see um, how these beers can kind of graduate through the system and you can uh, harness all that uh, creative um, energy that your team has. Was there a question? Yes, um, I'm interested in the collaboration, and I have a kind of a high-level concept, and I just want to see if I'm right. So did you guys actually create the concept of a pepper beer, say a mango IPA, and then you obviously create the IPA and kick it over to Voodoo, where you create the prototype, and then if, you, if this is right and you kick it back to Flying Dog, do you ever, like, how often do you say, you know, no, you completely missed a mark and keep working on this beer? Is that at all? Yeah, uh, somewhat, sort of. I mean, it is, you know, very much of a two-way play. Uh, something that I've also got going on, you know, with my company that's been in place for, I don't know, about two, two and a half years now. We've got what's called, I come from a software engineering background, by the way. So we did, you know, beta testing, uh, you know, on new software products. I have a beta taster program with Voodoo Child. And uh, we actually ran... I don't know if uh, uh, Ben and Matt know this. We did run our early prototypes, you know, through my beta taster program. So, I mean, the majority of the feedback was coming from the folks here at Flying Dog. But, I mean, it moved, very, you know, very much back and forth. I mean, when we met back in February, uh, you know, the idea came up, let's do something. In fact, 
the first meeting we, uh, the three of us had together, I brought a sauce that I made with, uh, oh, my favorite right now, uh, the Blood Orange Bloodline. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, hey, guys, what do you think about this? And, of course, it took a taste. Like, you know, they seem to enjoy it. It's like, we're kind of thinking about Fever Dream, just release that. It'd be fun, mango habanero. And I lit up at that because I've, I've always wanted to work with the mango, like I was saying earlier. But, yeah, it's, I mean, it's very much of a give and take. Uh, you guys both seem to like the first prototype. I felt like it needed something more. So, I mean, you know, both parties actually gave a lot of input to it. And, uh, yeah, it's been a heck, I mean, for me, it's been a whole heck of a lot of fun. Thank you. I do. I have a question. So everyone talks about hops and obviously ingredients that you brew with. Um, my biggest thing is yeast. Yeast creates a different flavor profile. So, like, when you're thinking about yeast for a spicy beer or a hot beer, how do you even, where do you start? Because there's so many different yeast strands that you can use. That's, yeah, I'm all about the yeast. So, this is actually a good, a good question for the beer that you have now. So, this is the Ancho Lime Paradise Lager. So, it's a little bit of a cop-out in the sense that it's a lager, so it kind of narrows your field down a little bit. But... Whenever Matt and I originally started talking about the concept of doing a heat beer, se heat beer series, um, my concern with it was that we were just going to make four beers that were all spicy, and you couldn't taste the pepper. So this beer is, an inten is intentionally made to be very subtle from a heat standpoint. So it's a Mexican lager, right? So you want to be able to drink a handful of these if, you, know, if you want to. It has a pretty assertive lime character. And then you're going to get the big ancho flavor, not the heat. So it's kind of that raisiny, earthy kind of thing going on. So in this case, where you really want to showcase those flavors of the pepper, we want the yeast to be as subdued as possible. And, and really, with all four of these beers, thinking through them, uh, they all have a pretty subdued yeast character to allow that, that pepper character to come through. Okay, another question, actually. Um, when you're making these these beers, um, do you how do you deal with the, the Scoville stuff with the, the the actual heat of the peppers? Um, I'm speaking as a home brewer particularly, mm -hmm. and I'm sure we get some others here. Um, do you have a scale? Is it just hit or miss? How does it work with these things? Man, you're segueing perfectly into like our, our next topic here. So both of you, you guys are great. You guys, you guys are great. <laughs> yeah, plant. <laughs> Go home, Bob. <laughs> I, I was going to add that Tom looks a lot like Walter White from Breaking Bread. So are you guys like at the brewery dealing like in the white suits? <laughs> so, so. Really kind of the, the, ne the next step here is to talk a little bit about um, lab scaling and piloting these beers. So the question really is, how much of this pepper do I put into a beer? How do you know, right? You can go on the homebrew forums and you can read up about it, but you're not really tasting somebody else's beer. You want to figure this out for yourself a little bit, right? So uh, the, what the tool that we utilize really... In, in the case of this beer, again, I've, I've already mentioned it's got that big assertive lime character. You want that big uh, ancho flavor. We're not really looking for heat, so we're more concerned about how to get that pepper powder in late in the process to get that big flavor. We start out with lab scaling. So what does that mean? We take a similar base beer. So this is a Mexican lager, so you're just going to take like any light lager, right? We work with lime 
uh, a fair amount. So we knew about how much lime we wanted to add to this beer. So we kept that amount the same. So let's say we just set up like 10 samples, maybe a half gallon to a gallon in size. And then each batch has a little bit more of the ancho chili powder. Seal those up, let them sit overnight to kind of steep, come back the next day, taste them, take some notes. We're looking for that point where we hit a balance, you know? So you can pretty easily pick that out when you have a whole spectrum in front of you. Then we know with our notes, we can go back and brew a small pilot batch with what we found off the lab scale. And hopefully we're at least like, you know, it's almost like sighting in a gun. You're gonna hit the target at least. And then from there you can start making adjustments to kind of get to the bullseye after, after a batch or two. So at the brewery we have uh, basically two different pilot systems. We got a little 20 gallon system and that's where all the batches really start. Okay, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really just a homebrew system is, is what it is. It's pretty awesome. So it's, it's like, you know, kind of this like lean and mean little thing that we can pump out if we're getting, um, you know, say three or four or five different ancho chili powder samples in from different suppliers. We can split that batch a couple ways into carboys and try these powders out, see which one we really like with the lime, and maybe pilot that one again, maybe make a couple tweaks to it. Um, all the beers that you're trying tonight actually graduated to our secondary pilot system, which most, I would say, the majority of the beers don't quite make it to this level, but the fact that we're using peppers in these beers, it works perfectly for our larger scale pilot, which is a 15 barrel pilot. So just, just for a sense of scale, you got 20 gallons, 15 barrels, and then our production brewery is 50 barrels. So you're going from like 20 gallons, 20 times that size, and then three times that size. So why, why do we do that? Why do we graduate it to the next level? If you can imagine, in the lab, we've got a little gram scale that might weigh out to like a tenth of a gram. And we're adding this stuff into like what is essentially a beer bottle. You don't have the most precise measurements, right? So you scale it up to 20 gallons, you're getting a little more precise. But when you jump that up to the 15 barrel scale, you're really gonna show if your scaling's off a little bit. Then you're only scaling three times. You can really fine tune where you want that heat and where you want that flavor. So it really works well with the pepper beers. We got a question over here. Ben, I got a question as well. Um, why, are, why are you using powder as opposed to actual peppers? Yep, great question. So this ties back into consistency a little bit, which I talked about before. And we've kind of alluded to it a little bit. So let's say we're piloting and we're doing the Carolina Reaper Peach IPA, which you guys will taste here in a little bit. So on a pilot scale, this is the hottest pepper in the world. We might be using a sliver off this pepper in 20 gallons, right? Have we picked the hottest pepper of the Carolina Reaper? Is this the most mild pepper? Is it somewhere in between? We don't know. But then when we scale it up from 20 gallons to 15, now we're using four peppers. Are these the hottest? Are these? We don't know. So we're kind of all over the place a little bit. Just from a consistency standpoint, we want to use a powder that's a blend of, it's a homogenous blend of multiple peppers so that we're ensuring consistency as we scale. It just makes it a lot easier for us. Um, another thing that's great about the 15 barrel, am I like going over on time here? We, we're good? Okay. Another thing that's great about the 15 barrel, this is like what I love at the brewery. This is like, Okay, this is like what I love to do like day in and day out. It's all the lab scaling and the piloting of the beer. So we pilot maybe three or four beers uh, a week at the brewery. So the lab scaling is really important. If you think about piloting a beer, you guys know as home brewers, it's going to take two or three weeks to get to the point where you can taste the finished product, right? Well, the lab scales, we do those in 24 hours, so you can kind of hone right in on something. When you're, you're working on, again, three or four beers a week, it really helps you keep everything moving along. But 
What's great about the, the 15 barrel, the 15 barrel system is it's basically a small, it's like a mini production batch. So we can run that through our, actually, our actual production packaging line. We can do all the analytics through the lab on the packaged beer. We can age it hot at room temperature cold. Before we're even brewing an actual production batch, we know what that beer is going to taste like when it's three months old. So that ties back to the stability I was talking about early on when we're looking at uh, sourcing raw materials. So you look like you're confused. No? Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, inquisitive. You tricky bastard. <laughs> Have you played with a pepper that just didn't work in a beer? Um, you know what? So the fourth beer in this series, the heat series right now, it's, uh, it's essentially a Belgian wit. So there was a question before about yeast playing into, I don't know where she went. Of course she's gone right now. Um, so if there's any beer in this series that is going to have a yeast character, it's going to be the last beer. So it's a, essentially a Belgian wit with uh, jalapenos. So how do you use jalapenos on a large scale? Well, you want to use the real things because the powder doesn't taste like a fresh green jalapeno, right? So we're, we're obviously going to use like a fresh puree. So we're just at that point. We started out with powders. Powders just don't work when you're looking for that fresh flavor. Something like a chipotle where you're getting that smoky, earthy kind of character, that works. Same with the ancho. With the uh, Carolina Reaper, it's all about heat, really. There's not going to be a ton of flavor there. So it works in that case. But with a jalapeno, you guys know what a jalapeno tastes like. I mean, you've got that big green earthiness. You want that. You don't want the dehydrated, like, you know, version of that. You want that fresh, that fresh green quality. So it's, it's finding suppliers that we can work with that can get that pureed product into us, you know, in a form that we can use. We're not going to bring in 4,000 pounds of jalapenos and sit there like, okay, guys, it's going to be the chopping day this week, and we all get on cutting boards. And after 20 minutes, we're, like, all red in the face. You know, it's just, it's, yeah, you can't touch anything. You can't go to the bathroom. You know, it's like, it's a mess. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll source a product that, you know, we can, we can obviously pump into our vessels in a, in a, a fresh pureed form. Do you guys uh, just throw everything in the batch, the seeds and all, or do you pull the seeds out? Yeah, so that's a great question. So right now with the, uh, the, so with the powders, with the Carolina Reaper, the, the seeds were in there with that. So that was everything. Um, so we've just started getting some of the purees in for the jalapeno. The one was in a container I can't see into, so I don't know what I've got there yet. And the other one, you could see that it was de-seeded. So we're going to play with those and see what, type of flavor. I'm, I'm mostly concerned with flavor and obviously heat yeah. a little bit and see, yep, see what we get. So that's kind of some of the fun of it. You know, you get a couple products. It's like, it's kind of like going to the homebrew store. It's not like you're, you're going to taste every malt before you start buying it to figure out, you know, what, what you want. So are we going to have a spoon out and be tasting the jalapeno puree? Sure. Did, were we foolish and were we kind of doing one of these things with the Carolina Reaper powder? Yeah. Did we rub our eye later? And yeah, it's all that. Yeah. So. But we could talk to Tom. Like, I think a misconception of peppers is that the heat comes from the seed, but it's really the, the vein down the side, right? The membrane. The term is the placenta. Yeah. Oh, there we go, the microphone. Forgot about You're that. You're eating a pepper yeah, placenta. It's actually called the placenta, where the seed is connected to the pepper. Yeah, that's, that's predominantly uh, you know, where the uh, capsaicin producers are at, is right in that white almost kind of foamy looking uh, area when you cut a pepper in half. My question was also for Tom. Um, for, the, for your sauces, what do you look for in the beers? Like what specifically do you want for your sauces from 
using beer exactly? That's actually a very fun question. Thank you. Uh, and that's part of the quote-unquote tough part of the job <laughs> is Will and I, well, as these guys well know, I mean, they gave us a lot of fever dream for this particular batch. I mean, there's some, there's some beers after two, three days, we figure it out. Uh, we've had one, he was here uh, doing a salon last night, another, uh, you know, beer owner. Uh, it took us well over two weeks. I mean, we drink that beer every day after work, like a pint, two pints. No, and, and, and we're searching for that. I mean, I'd like to say I'm an expert. This is actually a new niche market that we're trying to help spearhead. Uh, but that's the thing that we're looking for. We sip on the beer. We're looking for all of the nice aftertaste, the nice esters that you're getting from the variety of hops. You get a lot of neat, you know, fruity flavors out of that. You know, what are the, uh, the yeasts given us? And, you know, there's quite a few times where we'll either go back to the brewery. Like, we've done a lot of stuff with the Droit Theory. There's been a couple times I've actually had to go back to the brewery and hang out with a lot of their regulars. And it's like, you know, what are you getting here? And it's just that whole process of sipping, drinking, thinking. I don't want, I mean, we've got a huge catalog of hot sauces that we've made the last, you know, five, almost ten years. I don't want to sit there and pour beer in an existing sauce. I want to craft something new, and, uh, you know, that takes us a while to figure that out. But, you know, we just sit there, drink the beer. Sometimes it's two days, sometimes it's two weeks. But eventually, we really ferret out, you know, which, which flavors are there that we want to either exaggerate, accentuate, complement. Uh, in the case of Fever Dream, we brought in some other fruits that weren't even in the beer because we felt like it provided a really nice safety net to really get the beer the mango, the habanero to really play. And I mean, that one, heck, we've got five different peppers in that. And again, just to make it play, but we really want to make the beer the focal point. That's what I want you to smell. That's the first taste I want to give you. And then other, you know, the other flavors and especially the heat thing, it dances around a lot more because, well, that's what we do as hot sauce makers. But thank you. I hope that answered that. I have another question. So when playing with the balance of hops and heat, the HH, so hops and heat, um, how do you find the balance? Like, because hops can bring that very citrus forward, um, especially using like a Chinook or something that can bring like more of a citrus note. So how do you find balance between your hops and your heat? Well, hops accentuate heat. Yeah. Isn't that what's known as well? Um, is that on? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> is this on? <laughs> um, so this is another great segue into the next beer. I don't know if everyone's quite ready yet, but um, get, 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 <laughs> getting a little ahead of ourselves. But um, yeah, so the next beer will be the Carolina Reaper Peach IPA. So first beer here in the series or in the beers well we got the mango habanero which isn't part of the series but is a hop forward beer um the carolina reaper is going to be your most hop forward beer of the group so it also has a, a peach note to it so we've used i think it's galaxy and mosaic which our galaxy and mosaic that we happen to have in house with this real nice juicy kind of like white peach character going on so you, you add that you guys will see here in a bit of talking about a beer that you don't have yet um Oh, you guys have it? Oh, okay. Got it. I thought got we were it. still full with yeah. the oh, no, 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 no. Okay, great. So, yeah, hold on to your butts a little bit with this one. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty spicy. Um, this is a pilot batch, actually. So this is a second pilot batch. What's pretty cool about this is 
I don't know. I don't think you really see a lot of production breweries kind of putting out something for anyone to taste that isn't a finished product. So this is just an iteration of hopefully what we're hoping to get to. Uh, you can see it's unfiltered. I don't know if the carb levels may be quite right on it, but okay. Um, what we've found with this beer is that the more heat that we add to it, the more it subdues kind of that peach and hop note, okay? So we're actually, we've already brewed the next iteration of this, the third batch, and we've doubled We've doubled the amount of Carolina Reaper powder. So you can use your imagination a little bit. This guy's not loving that idea, but. Perfect. Okay, so, so our thinking is, and really, you're, you're, on, you're, you're on point with pretty much 90% of the brewery, but you got these two guys here that love heat and really, yeah, yeah. So it's a Carolina Reaper pepper, right? So it's the hottest pepper in the world, and we really want to do justice to that pepper. Now, is this going to be the hottest beer in the world? Probably not. We're not trying to do that, but we really want to make sure that the beer is hot as shit. So we're, we're going to get that, that heat in there. Okay, yep. So, yeah, nerding, but goes back to my... What I was going to ask earlier, and I deferred because you were talking about this pepper, is... I have a, I think I have an idea, but how are you balancing the heat on, on these? I mean, from, from my taste, this beer is absolutely perfect. Like you're getting every note, it's very well balanced. But thinking about the other beers we've had before, how are you balancing the heat with everything like that in terms of the production timing and, and everything when you're adding chilies and everything like that? So you're, at, you're basically asking, like, from a process standpoint, how are, like, when are we adding it? So, okay, so basically it goes back to that lab scaling. So the majority of that is going to be cold, right? So that's looking at more flavor and aroma. To really get that heat aspect, or, and I'll be honest with you, we're not sitting there, like, with a stir plate and heating this stuff up and, like, making a, a hot tea to figure that out. That all comes from piloting. So we're going to be adding it late in the boil, maybe five or ten minutes left in the boil, and then it's batch after batch, tweaking, finding that, that bullseye. So we can get the flavor where we want it on a lab scale, but we can't quite get the heat right without actually brewing the batch of beer, waiting two or three weeks, and then tweaking it. So this one, this one was a little bit of a pain, because what I did initially, uh, honestly, I looked at, uh, Googled like Scoville units, found habanero, because we made a lot of beers with habaneros. And we're like, okay, we're here. Now I let's go to the ceiling. Yeah. And oh, okay. So this is the whole way up here. So you do the math and instead of a pound per barrel, we're adding like an eighth of an ounce per barrel. And I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll start, we'll start there. And we didn't get the heat we were looking for. So we doubled it. Didn't get the heat. We doubled it, you know, so we're still doubling it to get to where we want to be. Um, <laughs> So really, it's, it's a shot in the dark at first until we kind of brew a couple batches. Well, I'll say a wonderful thing about this beer as well as the peach on the nose is just so front forward and it's wonderful. And so how do you keep that going? Yeah, a, a lot of that is the play off of the hops as well. So this goes back to the hops. So it's Mosaic and Galaxy hops. What we found with the specific hop lots that we have, when we add those two hops together in a certain proportion, we get that big, juicy white peach character. And then... This has, so the first pilot batch, we kind of used like a conservative amount of peach puree. This one, we kind of went to like the upper limit of what we thought was feasible. Um, 
The next batch has the same amount of peach, but double the heat. So I'm wondering how that heat will diminish the peach or if it will. So that's something we're looking at for the, for the next batch. And then that will be a consideration for what will likely be the final, the final product. You got something to add here, Tom? Okay. A uh, little bit off, off center because we've not talked about it, but when it comes to, you know, using the peppers in the beer and any of you, you know, any of us here, I mean, I know Justin's really big in home brewing. Uh, when it comes to using the peppers, you think about it, if we're doing it in the wort, that's water. Uh, capsaicin, the active thing that makes the pepper hot, uh, that naturally wants to be an oil. Oil and water, as we know, doesn't go well together. Uh, so it's, you know, it's one, probably one of the biggest challenges that I'm, I imagine you guys are running into is the fact that having the peppers or the pepper powder early on in the wort, even though we're heating it up and boiling it, there's just that resistance. It wants to stick to the plant material instead of wanting to release you know, into the actual wort that we can ferment, make our beer out of. And you know, it does make it a bit of a challenge because you can get a lot because there's a lot of water in something like a habanero, a jalapeno, stuff wants to release. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen like a ghost chili or uh, you know Carolina Reaper. It's an angry looking pepper. It looks like it's angry to even be alive. Yeah, it's all gnarled up and it's got warts all over it. And no, I'm talking too much. But anyhow, I think that's probably the biggest challenge you guys are running into is the fact that capsaicin being an oil and I probably ought to pass this over to Justin, uh, you know, working with the super hot peppers has got to be very challenging in that, uh, in re that regard. Yeah, we see a lot of the oils actually glom onto the yeast and drop out. So it's something else you see with the hops as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge there. Sorry, nerding out. So um, as a home brewer, um, my brewer... My brewing partner, Juniper Brewing, he, we've been experimenting a lot with chili beers. And my question is kind of double-parted. Like, do you feel that these expressions using the fruit and everything are kind of helping express the more delicate flavors of the chilies, um, the more floral aspects, the more fruity aspects, especially in the hot, hot chilies like the Carolina Reaper, the Ghost Scorpions? that people kind of don't notice. Um, and also on the brewing side, have you experimented with kind of adding things post-fermentation where the yeast is not scrubbing out the capsicum and the more delicate flavors um, to kind of let it mature in a different way? Yeah, I think there was, there was certainly intent with the pairings between the peppers and the fruit for sure. Um, you know, specifically with like the ancho lime, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, I don't know, that's almost like a simple pairing. Those are like two things, it's, it's you know, kind of like the Hispanic theme, that, that all works well together. What was interesting that I found with the Carolina Reaper, we kind of got this small little sample and it was like a half an ounce little shaker, you know, for like $25 or something ridiculous. I don't know what it was. And then we talked to Tom and we're like, dude, we need to get this stuff from the source, like hook, hook us up here. And he, yeah, so, so maybe from Justin, but we, we kind of get these peppers in and just smelling the difference between the two, like the, the original stuff that we got in had no aroma. And then the other Carolina Reaper had this like almost like savory, dank kind of thing going on. I was like, whoa, this is completely different from what I expected. It's like, we'll see how this pairs with the peach. Like we, we really didn't know. So it's sometimes it's just, 
a crapshoot a little bit. You're throwing two ingredients together to see how they work, and other times it's it is a little bit more more planned. It's actually yeah, it's a delicious. This is the first time I've ever tried this beer, by the way, and I'm blown away. It's, yeah, um, Justin Lochelle, uh, and yes, I do work for a company called Puckerbutt. Uh, my my boss, uh, Ed Curry, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the Carolina Reaper, uh, but it is, as of November 2013, uh, certified by the Guinness Book of World Records as the hottest pepper uh, on the planet. Uh, now, I'm the, the numbers geek, I'm the financial analyst, so uh, I, I'm actually the, like one of two people in the company that drinks beer, so I basically got a golden <laughs> ticket to come here. Otherwise, Ed would be up here just like, whatever, so... Um, but yeah, I, well done. I, I did a, my first time home brewing, this is like four or five years ago, uh, I tried an English style IPA and, and you know, everyone up here has been saying powder. Um, I tried a fresh pod and I was doing a quarter slice, maybe a half slice of a Carolina Reaper. Uh, this is back when I bottled, now I keg, but um, when I was bottling and a half of a Reaper in a bottle is the worst thing you will ever <laughs> consume. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding, and and it's one of those things where it's, it's a pride, it's like a prideful moment where you 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 know I capped my first one and there's a reaper floating around. I'm like, all right, I'll give it like give it like two three weeks, and then um, I, I swear to you, I, I opened that and I could just smell. And I, I took a sip and like my lips blistered, and um, so I realized I did it wrong. Um, but you know, going forward, like this right here is absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm proud to be part of this and. Um, you know, Flying Dog's always been one of my, my favorite breweries, and, and this showcases what really can be done with a pepper this warm. Um, you know, we were talking about Scoville ratings earlier. Uh, just to give you an idea of what Scoville ratings really mean, the higher the number, the hotter the pepper, essentially. Um, bell peppers are zero. You know, what you would get in a grocery store, there's no heat. It tastes like a pepper, but there's no heat. Um, you know, a jalapeno is about five to 8,000 Scoville heat units. Uh, habaneros range, they might be 100,000. They might go up to maybe 500,000. Uh, the Carolina Reaper, on average, now this is based on six years of an average, uh, is right at 1.6 million. So it, it's, it's funny. <laughs> Uh, I think abusive is the term. It, yeah, it's terrible. No, it's, but the thing is, like, if, if you have a tolerance. <laughs> why do you Thus think we the got name, name? Puckerbutt, all right? <laughs> That's why we got our name. Um, but, you know, if, if you've got the, the heat tolerance for it, it's almost like an alcohol tolerance, you know. If you don't drink, one beer is going to floor you. But um, just like peppers, if, if, you know, if you eat hot stuff all the time, you really do get all the subtle flavors and the sweetness of a Carolina Reaper. And, um, one thing I will say, uh, everybody here, I've got a business card. Uh, I don't have any peppers here because our fields are all flooded and underwater right now. But um, if, you, if you want, uh, I will physically mail you a bottle of I Dare You Stupid. It's, it's one of our milder hot sauces, but it does have Carolina Reaper. It's two ingredients. It's Carolina Reaper and vinegar. Uh, my email address is on here, so email me. I'll send it out this next week. So you actually get to see what the pepper tastes like. His idea of mild is not normal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the thing. Well, see, the other thing is I'm, I'm kind of the, the, the tester. Yeah, I, I do the books and stuff, and then I also eat the peppers. And um, we have experimental farms. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's funny because we've got one main, main farm, and it's about 10 to 15 acres, and that's where we do most of our, our growing. And 
I mean, everything's planted by one tractor, by you know, two people hanging off the back side of it. And um, I, I was unfortunately one of those guys one day last year. I'm not really an outdoor cat, but um, I was that one day. And I, I've never been that dirty in my life. But, um, you know, we, as of last year, uh, let's see, we had about 110,000 plants in the ground, and most of them were Carolina Reaper. And, um, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable what, what can be done using a pepper that's practically inedible for most people, you know. Uh, but you tone it back, and you, you get the heat, and it's, it's, it really is it's incredible. Like, the, the Carolina Reaper, if you eat one, and yes, I'm on YouTube eating one. It was a terrible idea, but... Um, it, it isolates, it, it kind of burns in one spot. Where you start chewing it is where it really starts burning and it just doesn't let up. This beer, to me, it, it kind of hits everything. And, and the peach is the first thing you taste and then you get this whole mouth burn. I don't think I've taken a sip in five minutes and I still get that glow. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable, so. Um. Suggestion, you mind, well, that ship's already hey. sailed. I'm gonna interrupt you for a second. If you don't mind, I would uh, really appreciate it if you tell the audience a, bit, a little bit about Ed Curry, about the Carolina Reaper, and about his fixation with the university, the peppers they're donating, and, and really what got this whole thing started as far as... Yeah, and sure. how you yeah. create the world's hottest pepper. Oh, sure, sure. No, I know all that. Stuff. I've heard him do so many interviews, it's crazy. Um, all right, so Ed got started. It was really, I mean, just like anything, it was an accident. It wasn't intentional. He never... He never really set out to make the world's hottest pepper because, I mean, I'm sure millions of people, thousands of people do that, you know, and no one really, really achieves that. Um, Ed was trying to come up with something that was sweet, uh, sweet up front, and then warmer than average on the back. Uh, just like you taste peach first and then you get the heat, that's what he was trying to do. Um, and what he ended up doing, and it wasn't a first attempt, I mean, it, it's kind of like... Uh, one thing that I, I said a, a few, you know, a few months back was, uh, it's like Thomas Edison. You know, he failed hundreds of times trying to make the light bulb, and then eventually it clicked. Uh, it was the 22nd attempt for Ed. I don't know if anyone knows the backstory on the Carolina Reaper, but the code name for years was HP22B, 22 being the 22nd attempt, uh, and this was for like the first generation of the Carolina Reaper, which is unstable and you don't know what's gonna happen the next season that you grow it. So it's a bunch of isolation techniques and all that. But um, so he has rows of, of this 22nd attempt. Row B, the second one essentially, uh, was that row that just happened to do it. And um, that's kind of where I come in. You know, everyone that worked for him at the time, uh, I, I say work, uh, they were working for free. Uh, it was a very small business. I mean, it was, it was tiny, and he was, he was really only growing just to give stuff away. Uh, he made salsas, you know, whatever, and, and, and he just gave it away to friends, and everyone said, you really need to go into business and, and, and make something of this. Um, that was around the same time that this Carolina Reaper HP22B came about. Uh, he took samples of it because the first person that tried it um, politely rejected it. Uh, we'll just say rejected it. Uh, so the university just south of Charlotte, North Carolina, I actually went there twice, undergrad and grad school. When I was in grad school, I, I met Ed. He was on campus. And one of my classes, I had to represent a business. And, and that just happened to be 
pucker butt. The reason I picked it is because of the name. It's exactly what you're thinking. There, 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 were, there were like salons and restaurants, and I'm like, no, I need to meet the guy that's banking his life off of Pucker Butt Pepper Company. And so I did, and, and I mean, the rest is history. I've been, I've been there since 2012 now. And, um, but Winthrop University tested this pepper. Uh, it's a machine called, it's a high-pressure liquid chromatography, I believe, HPLC machine. It is a, a modern way to measure Scoville heat ratings or, or heat units, SHUs, uh, in peppers. It, it kind of measures the, the concentration of uh, capsianoids, and it ends up being on paper, just a giant graph, and then somehow somebody that knows what they're doing highlights something, and then that's what you get. So what we did was a six-year average. I'm sure there are people that have made peppers that are hotter than the first Carolina Reapers, but if you can't reproduce it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really count. So, you know, for six years, we're taking averages, and, and we're averaging the next batch into that one, just like you were saying, this hom homogenous blend. And um, what we get is a six-year uh, rolling average of 1.6 million Scoville heat units. Uh, and sure enough, you know, I had nothing to do with the design and the creation of the pepper, but I did hit the send button to Guinness Book of World Records, and <laughs> so I'd like to think I had some part of it. Uh, <laughs> And very much on the feel-good side, uh, you know, so, uh, cancer something's been hitting my family uh, like a freaking train wreck the last five years. Uh, for the last five generations, it's been absent. Uh, Ed Curry, your boss, yeah. uh, is a cancer survivor. Uh, he is deep down in his heart convinced that there is something inside of hot peppers, especially the super exotic hot peppers. And there's been a lot of scientific studies on that. Yeah. Ed's biggest passion is trying to find what the hell it is. It's, yeah. not, it's not capsaicin, but there's something inside of the super exotic hot peppers that kills tumorous cells. Yeah, and, and Ed, uh, I don't know what you were. You're the one that crunches the numbers. Oh, I know sure. that Puck, Puckerbutt donates a lot of peppers and a lot of money to cancer research. And for me, uh, kind of like uh, you know, working with Pepidou, you know, that whole give back, feel good thing, it's not about feeling good. It's just about doing good. And that's, yeah. that's why Ed is one of my closest friends on this planet. I mean, he really cares about that. And, of course, it's really close to not only his heart but his body. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And, honestly, I, I, I tell all my friends, like, I have the best job ever. Um, and, and he really does give back to the community. And, um, you know, one thing, just going on with what Tom was saying, uh, of course, you know, this is all, like, experimental stuff. And we really can't say anything but... Um, uh, you know, we have seen lab results. We're not part of these, but we, you know, we've seen lab results where there is something, like, like he was saying, to do with, with cancer. And Ed being a cancer survivor, um, he's trying to really, he, in interviews, it's kind of funny. He always says uh, he set out to find a way to not die. Uh, and, I mean, it's, it's funny, and it's, all, it, it's kind of a little macabre because it's, it's, it's like, you know, what can you do to prolong life? And, and he truly believes, and I mean, I, I believe in him, uh, that there is something to hot peppers and, and spice and, and diet and all that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it than just eating a pepper and burning, you know? There, there's a lot more. So, trust me, we've all been there.
I've never called out of any other job because of stomach cramps other than this one. It was, yeah. Sorry, I, I can't have, come in. I can't come in. I'm, I'm just thinking. I have a good friend of mine that uh, I've known for years, and, and he uh, swears on uh, habanero sauce that he makes that he uses elixir, uh, either topically or orally, that he swears by. And I, I'll tell you, I think it, it actually works. But yeah. what I wanted to say earlier was that I think uh, I like all your all your beers. I think they're they're really great. And I think the what I really like about the heat is it stays in the palate. It it doesn't hit your your gut, which I really appreciate. You know, uh, I don't, you know. so I, and I think that's really a perfect job on on mixing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to go there, but it, it really does. It stays in your palate, stays in your mouth. It stays there. You pick up the uh, the the uh, uh, the peach, the uh, uh, mango. Oh, I'm allergic to mango. Just the skin, though, so we're safe. But you know, it's it's really good. It, I think it all they're all very great beers and working very well. Yeah, I would agree. You guys did a wonderful job of creating the balance there. Because there's the heat, there's the spice, but the beer still shines through. And so, um, wonderful job, you guys. Any last comment from you? Not really. Thank you all for coming to the salon. Uh, it's been great. Any last comments from you guys? Yeah. Tom, no? You good? You good? I'm good. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2016, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2016, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.